Okay, we are live and the story begins. Second half of chapter 48, page 618. What is going on here, right? <laughs> this chapter is, is um, it's a difficult chapter, but it, it's important that we zoom out for a second to look at the bigger picture. The real big picture, the goal, not of the chapter, but of the book, is to help us better internalize our relationship with God, to realize that a relationship with God is not just a behavioral experience, but it's a holistic experience. Um, not, it's not just an emotional experience either, right? We keep going back and forth, emphasizing the importance of action, that's what it's all about, get the deed done. Emphasizing the importance of passion, it's a relationship. And we're going back and forth. And bottom line, Judaism is holistic, a relationship is all encompassing. We've been focusing a lot on love and reverence, the emotional side of it. For the past several chapters, since chapter 41. Then we've, in chapter 48, our chapter, we've digressed. We're going to get back to the love, trust me. Uh, a little bit of a digression here to help us better conceptualize our relationship with God. In general, there are two perspectives of God, two ways of perceiving God. Two ways, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this. Two ways of experiencing Let's start with number one. We don't have to label them. Does it have anything to do with Diet Coke? It has a lot to do with Diet Coke, and um, we'll soon see how. <laughs> <laughs> so number one, there's how we experience God. Right? There are um, six of us here, right? I think. I don't know. My math. My math skills only works in multiples of 18. There are six of us here on this on this uh, Zoom room. And if we were each to describe our relationship with God, we would hear six different descriptions. Right? If we were each to describe our experience with God, our experience of God, we would hear six different descriptions. Because we're all different. We all experience things differently. We process things differently, um, intellectually, emotionally, experientially. Our histories are different, right? We still get along. This is incredible. <laughs> um, so then that, that it's a very subjective experience, right? That's on a personal level. On a global level, if you were to stand in our world in general, there's one image of God, not image, but perspective of God. If you were to travel to the heavens, they would describe God very differently. If you were to try uh, um, to travel to Gan Eden, to the um, celestial worlds of Atzilut, or even beyond, right? In each location, in each person, in each, every, every varying factor, the description of God is going to be different. And the reason is because what we're describing is not God. What we're describing is our experience of him. Right? This is a powerful lesson in relationships, by the way. Do you really know 
the other person or do you just know your experience, right? So that's number one. Number two though, is describing God himself. Not how I experience him, not how I process him, not how I feel about him or what I know about him, but actually just describing him. Nobody could really do that. <laughs> that can't really be done, right? Now, the Kabbalistic terms for these two levels of God, not levels of, or levels of relationships, is how I experience God, this is who God is, right? How I experience God, Kabbalah uses a different lingo. The lingo Kabbalah uses is God being enmeshed in the world, right? That term may sound familiar from, from the reading. God is enmeshed or invested in clothes in the world. Um, the term used to describe not how we experience it, but him himself, God encompasses the world. He surrounds the world. Now, when we say he surrounds the world, what does that really mean? We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. What does that mean that God surrounds the world? He encompasses it as if he were not present, but actually beyond us, abstract, as if he were abstract and above our heads. What does that mean? Perhaps to take that literally would be heretical. Right? Vitanya asserts that no, when the Zohar and other Kabbalistic teachings teach that God is abstract or in Kabbalistic lingo encompasses the world, that it's not to be taken literally. God is everywhere. Right? Take a, everyone with me? Make sense? Okay. Take a look on page 618. Now, trust me, we're going to see how this is relevant to our own personal lives. It's not just philosophical. This is really relevant to our everyday decision-making. And you'll see it hopefully a little bit in today's class, but even more so in next week's class. Um, please take a look on 618. Um, let's take a look on The second bold paragraph, it's kind of the middle of the page where it says rather, you see it? Okay, rather the infinite light is often described as encompassing the worlds in a disengaged fashion. Now, not in the literal sense, and we'll talk about that soon. Hold that thought. As if it were above them, right? It's over our heads, figuratively. And it's called in the Zohar, the light which transcends or circles all worlds. Take a look at the next paragraph. But this isn't a spatial reference to something physically circling or encompassing from above, which implied that God is not present in this world, God forbid. It's obviously not meant in the spatial sense because in spirituality, there's no notion of physical space. How could you confine God to a place of not being in the world if he's not defined by or limited by space? Rather, I'm going to read one more paragraph, the next paragraph here. The spatial terminology is a metaphor to imply that in terms of palpable flow, it's as if the light were circling and encompassing from above. So when we say God encompasses the world, God is disengaged. We don't mean that in the literal sense. We mean that in the experiential sense. Make sense? Literally or in reality, 
where is God? If you were to if you were to ask objectively speaking, where is God? Right? He's everywhere. Where isn't God? <laughs> he created everything. Everything's a part of him. He's everywhere. Okay. If you were to ask experientially, where is God? That's a harder question to ask. You kind of have to search. You kind of have to seek. Right? And certain places, certain times in our life, we're going to feel him more. Certain times we're going to feel him less. Perhaps certain localities will be experienced more. Maybe you'll feel connected more in a synagogue than you would in, in uh, somewhere else. So experientially, yeah, God is a, removed from the world. He transcends the world in terms of how we experience him. He's way beyond that. But in reality, he's everywhere. Whose reality are we going to trust? <laughs> Whose reality is the real one? Is the real reality? There, there seems to be this um, duality between the two realities. There's our reality. He's way above us. He's transcendent. He's disengaged. Um, we don't necessarily mean behaviorally disengaged, but not like we feel necessarily unless we really work on ourselves, but by default, we don't feel a constant presence of him. In that sense, he feels very disengaged, but by default, unless we pray and, and, and connect. In reality, he's everywhere. So do we trust our reality or do we trust God's reality. Right? By the way, uh, parenthetically speaking, this is what faith is. We usually operate by default from the paradigm of our own reality, of our own experiences. And if I don't experience God, I will question whether he exists. Because I'm operating from the paradigm of my own experience. Right? Faith means... Well, maybe there's more to uh, life than just the lenses of my own experience. And maybe I, if I don't experience his presence, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not here. It, it, in, to, to sum up this thought, God is very much present in this world. As much as he is in any world. Um, on the other hand, from our experience, experientially speaking, he's less revealed in this world. Why is he less revealed in this world? And, and by the way, he is less revealed in this world. We call him encompassing the world, surrounding the world, transcending the world. This is a product of Tsimtsum. You could think Tsimtsum. But, but again, there is a little bit of a confusing dichotomy here. On the one hand, we're asserting that he's everywhere. There's no place where he is not. On the other hand, I don't see him everywhere. I don't experience him that way. Experientially, maybe he's only in the synagogue. Maybe only on Yom Kippur. Maybe only on the Elah. If, I had a, if I'm inspired, I'm in the right frame of mind. Okay, fine. But it, reality, right? Experientially, he's transcendent. I, I don't know what he's all about. I, I, I have faith. I do what he says. But in reality, he's right here. He's right here with me. 
Probably even closer than that, by the way. <laughs> so to, to better understand this analogy, not this analogy, this dichotomy, um, please take a look on page, page 621. or just to define the dichotomy before we understand it. Sorry, 620, did I say, did I say 21? Page 620, the first bold paragraph. It's a big paragraph, it's a big square, kind of in the middle of the page. We'll read through it quickly, everyone has it? Okay. Well, on the one hand, all the earth is filled with his glory, like it says in Isaiah. So we're just going to bring the biblical verses just to back this up. On the one hand, as Isaiah, the prophet, proclaims, the world is full of his glory. His glory referring to God himself, the blessed infinite light. As the verse states, do I personally not fill the heaven and earth, says God? Again, a prophetic statement from Jeremiah, same idea. God is everywhere. Nevertheless, though, while the blessed infinite light may fill the world, its flow doesn't get palpably, palpable, doesn't get palpably, there we go, enmeshed with the physical earth, except for the tiny minuscule amount of energy evident in motionless matter and plants. And all of the, uh, the blessed infinite light in the world is totally inaccessible. So it's described as encircling the world. On the one hand, God is very much present. There's no place where he is not. On the other hand, in terms of um, our experience of him, or as he describes here, his palpability in this world, he's described as transcendent. Even though it's actually in the world, even though it's very much present. And the reason is because its influence is not felt there more palpably, only as a heavenly veiled and concealed influence. The reason is because God is veiled, God is concealed, God is hidden. If we could sum this up in one sentence, what we now know is not to trust our experiences too much. Sometimes we need to trust our experiences, but sometimes we shouldn't trust our experiences because from our experience, experience tells us that when I'm inspired, God is here. And when I'm not inspired, God is not here. Right? <laughs> experience tells us that when I'm motivated, God is here. When I'm unmotivated, God is not here. When it's Shabbat and I'm lighting the candles and it's a spiritual moment or it's Yom Kippur. By the way, I'm not discounting these moments. These are special moments. These are precious moments. So don't. But experience tells us that that's when God is here. Right? Somebody once asked the Rabbi Menachem Edel of Kutsk, who was a Hasidic leader at the turn of the 19th century or 20th century, maybe. Um, the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. So the turn of the 20th century. He said, Rabbi, where is God? So he said, wherever you allow him to be, right? And that's true, but that's experientially. Where will you experience him? Where you allow him to feel that experience? Fine. We can't always trust the experience because in reality, he's very much here. Experientially, he may be transcendent. In reality, he's very much the omnipresent. He's present. 
And to, to give an analogy to illustrate this, before we get to the analogy, any questions, thoughts, comments? Or controversy? So controversy. The, um, it seems if you just go by your experiences, your faith in God is going to be bipolar <laughs> because you're, it's all or, or nothing, it seems like. Well, may not be all, but... <laughs> There sure you is know, a lot the, of nothingness. The, the best, <laughs> the best would be to to have both worlds to kind of bridge our experience with reality, or realign our experience with reality. So yes, God is always here, and if we can inspire our experience with that, that can inspire our experiences. That would be great. If we allow just our experiences to lead us, it could be it could be dangerous. People, I don't know. There, there's like this sentiment in the world or, or notion of like you know, experience is the greatest teacher. In some ways, it's true. But you know, Javi used to always tell her students. She used to teach second grade for many years, and she would tell them, "Practice makes permanent. Not perfect, but permanent." You've been doing something for so long, so now it becomes a permanent part of you. That doesn't mean it's a good thing. <laughs> if you've done the right thing, it's been a good thing, right? If it's a good experience, then it's then it's good. But but practice makes permanent. That doesn't make it right or wrong necessarily. That that doesn't mean we shouldn't learn from experience, but it means. Uh, I would say having faith means, at least in this context, being okay with being objective once in a while. Or having a conviction that doesn't, even if it's not consistent with our experience. To, to give an example, to further illustrate um, this, this dichotomy, on the one hand, God being very present. On the one hand, on the other hand, um, experientially him being transcendent. Here's the analogy. Um, David, you mentioned Diet Coke. Okay. Picture a tall glass of freezing cold Diet Coke with a bendy straw. Right. Mike and I are just salivating here, right? <laughs> ton of ice. The temperature is just perfect. Uh, a, a, so picture this idea. This Diet Coke that you are imagining, where is it? Where is it located? Where is it located? In your it's head. in your head. Yeah, it's in mm -hmm. our heads. <laughs> it's located in our heads. Um, we are encompassing it with our head. Or if you were to 
reverse the table here for a second. If you were to have a conversation with the Diet Coke, wait, I do that all the time. You were to, <laughs> if you were to have a conversation with the Diet Coke, where is Josh or where is whoever's the one thinking about this Diet Coke? I don't know. I don't see him. He's transcendent, right? Am I really transcendent? I am and I'm not. Perhaps experientially, the Diet Coke's not going to see me. I, 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 I encompass it. So allow the author of the Tanya to illustrate that analogy himself without the Diet Coke. He gives it a wild card. He lets you think of what you want. I'll let you plug it in. Take a look on 621. Oh, or, you know, bottom of 620, just to take a context here. All the way in the bottom, the last line of 620. And to make this easier to understand, let's offer a physical example. Okay, there we go, 621. The top of the page. The simultaneous presence and non-presence of the infinite light, which we are depicting with the term encompass or transcendent, it's comparable to a person's mind encompassing an object when he pictures something that he saw or is seeing. Now, even though the entire actual object is outside, it, sorry, it's outside, inside, and core is pictured completely in his mind and thoughts because he saw it or is seeing it, all of it. Nevertheless, the person's knowledge has no influence on that object in any way, right? The Diet Coke isn't changing depending on how I think about it. The reality of it right so even though i'm going to read the next paragraph even though you can say that his mind encompasses every detail of that object and you can also say that the object itself is absorbed and engulfed in his mind and thoughts because there's a, a complete picture of the object in his head nevertheless the object doesn't feel it where is the where are you in relation to, to the diet coke that Diet Coke's a part of you, uh, right? The, the, the image that we're thinking of, not the real Diet Coke. The image of the Diet Coke is really much a part of you. Does the Diet Coke sense that? Maybe not. Does that change the reality though? No, right? So is there any purpose of thinking about it because it's there and it's obvious and maybe using experience to bring it closer would be the, the ideal because if you know it's there and it's all encompassing then why even question it or think about it or try conceptualize it? right it there there is some tr there, that is a valid point and there is some truth to that on the other hand you do want it to be meaningful you do want it to be experiential yeah but you don't right. want to conceptualize it because if you conceptualize it you make it into something that's not as worthy or not that not as powerful Right. When it's, you can it's actually a, see it as, as it, being part of something that you can actually conceive. It's very, there is a hazard of doing that. Um, it, it boils down to what the premise is. If the premise is that there's an objective truth and I want to try to understand it, that, that's great. If the premise is, if I understand it, it's true. And I'll see if it's true based on my understanding. So it depends on what the premise is. Yeah. Um, in other words, am I using my mind to understand or is my mind the premise of the, the, the bar of what's true? Right? Where's my starting point? 
Does my mind lead me to realize that God is real or is God real no matter what to me? And I'll try to get my mind to agree. Right? The latter is very appropriate. But to take a step back for a second, what is the relationship with you to that Diet Coke? You're encompassing it, you're a part of it, but there's one problem here, that Diet Coke is fake. <laughs> Just your imagination, right? With God though, we're real, we're independent, and yet we're still absorbed in him when he thinks of us. Take a look in the bottom of 621. But with the Holy One, with God, with the Blessed Holy One, God, of whom it is written, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? God has a different way of thinking than we do. Um, 622. His mindful thoughts through which he knows all the creations do engulf each individual creation from top to bottom in its side and its core. God's thoughts engulf them in actual reality. So the Diet Coke in our mind is just our imagination. But whatever is on God's mind, which is everything that exists, is literally on his mind, not just figuratively speaking or conceptually speaking, but in reality, right? Um, one of the names, one of the nicknames we give for God The nickname we give for God is the omnipresent, right? We call God the omnipresent, especially in the Haggadah. In the Haggadah, we always call God the omnipresent. Blessed is the omnipresent, blessed he. Blessed is the, right? We always refer to God as the, we often refer to God as the omnipresent. In the is Hebrew, that, should I? No, no, the omnipresent is Hamakom. Oh. The Hamakom. Right. Um, throughout rabbinic literature, it's usually a term used in rabbinic literature, Talmudic literature. God is referred to as Hamakom. What is does Hamakom that, mean? The place. the place. The place, right? God is called the place. And the commentaries ask, why is God called the place? It's, a, it's kind of a funny name. We're calling present, him a place. Present, present everywhere. Right. He's present everywhere. And the, the commentaries explain that. He is not located in the world, but he is the place. He's the location of the world. It's like you call him like Hashem. It's the name. It's the place. Yeah. It's all yeah. encompassing. Con exactly. It includes everything. Exactly. He's not, it's not. So in other words, the prem, if I were to ask, take a step back. If I were to ask, where is God? What's the premise of that question? There's this very last, a uh, vast location called the universe and i'm trying to figure out where god would be located in that universe and, and that's an incorrect premise it's the other way around there's god he is the venue of existence because he is the creator of existence which means where is god doesn't even make sense the question doesn't necessarily make question it makes sense experientially it does right in terms of how we can experience him where is he fine but in reality does it really make sense he is the place he he is the location of existence we don't see it that way because of tzimtzum now 
we're going to do something we don't usually do in this Tanya discussion. John, this is going to be your cue. I knew this was coming, so I actually just prepared it just now. <laughs> we have a little cute video to share on the screen. Very cool. I think it will really, really bring the drive the point home. Oh, uh, apparently, just like with recording, you have to enable sharing for me. Okay, let's do that. Um, okay, I'm just gonna make you the host if that works. I think Ooh, that's the only. I'll option. be omni present. This is a lot of power, John. Don't abuse it. Okay, should be ready now. There we go. Make sure I share the right screen. Can you see it? And let me know if you hear, oh wait, I didn't share it yet. Okay, now let me know if there's any problems hearing the audio. Is it good? No, I can't hear it. Uh oh. All right. Pause it, pause it. Let me figure out why that is. Give me a second. There should be a box uh, when you click screen share. Like you have to like check one of the boxes on the bottom. Yeah, that's I was looking for that before. There's two boxes. One is for sharing videos. Oh, advanced sharing options. Uh, hmm. Oh, I wonder if I'm able to share. No, I might be able to share on my phone. Now, why does this have to be so hard? Advanced sharing. You know, I might be able to do it on my phone. If it was okay, easy, John, anybody could do it. But I'm go. supposed to know how to do this stuff. Let's blame it on Cisco. This is not Cisco, actually. That's right. Let's blame it on Zoom. There we go. Should have uh, used WebEx, huh? Let's just blame it on the boogie. Okay, you'll just have to trust us. It's a great video. <laughs> Should I just try again? See if... Um... Yeah, are there two checkboxes? There should be two checkbox options. Oh One yeah, like now I see it. I, I got it. Yeah, duh, it's dummy. Okay, okay, let me cue the video again. Share sound, yeah, okay, duh. Share the right screen. Okay. Oh boy, now it's asking me to hang on. Why does this have to be so hard? All right. Um, give me a thumbs up if you hear sound. TorahCafe.com. Yay. Nuri, where's God? He's up, up there in heaven. No, God isn't somewhere up there. God is everywhere. Now, where are you and I? 
we're down here on Earth. No, you and I are actually in God. In God? Yes, God is everywhere, and we're in God. Oh, wow! You get it? Yeah, I get it. Wow, God is so fat. When atheists say there's no God in existence, they're partially right. God is not in existence. God is existence, and infinitely more. Here's a helpful metaphor. We are to God as a thought is to a thinker. If I create a person in my mind, that person exists in my mind. From his perspective, there's him and me. But from my perspective, there's just me. Although this person is not me, because he exists within me and is an expression of me, there's really just me. Similarly, Torah teaches, although we are not God, because we exist within God and are expressions of God, there's really nothing but God. When you know and live this truth, you cannot but love God, yourself, and all others. It's the incredible joy of heaven on earth. Okay, so going back to why we call God Hamakom, the place. He is the venue, he is the place of existence. He's not just happens to be here, just like we happen to be here. So let, let's, let's meditate on this for a second. Let's try this. Picture something, anything, a person, some Diet Coke, Coke Zero, like some Coke Zero, whatever it might be. Picture it, right? What is your relationship to that item? You are its creator. And its existence is very much dependent on you. Because if you stop thinking about it, it won't exist anymore. Um, it, it really is, right? You, you, you are almost like a god in your own head. <laughs> Some people take this to the extreme. Okay, but in reality, what is your relationship to that item that you're thinking of? Well, nothing, because it doesn't really exist. It's, it's, it's a thought, right? Okay, God on the other hand, let's think about this for a second. He's thinking of us, which is how we exist. What is our relationship with him? right? The same relationship as our thoughts are to us. The only difference is with God, this is very much real. Very much real because we're not just, because we are a reality of existence. We're not just thoughts. So put it this way. What does it take for God to know you? Right. Well, well, let me take a step back. What does it take for you to know someone else? Got to go outside yeah. of yourself, right? Yeah. Well, you've actually got to pay attention. So right. if if you if you have to grab the person's attention and they have to grab your attention to get right. to know each other. 
which means which means you have to leave your own self right but for you have to leave your own self to know somebody else's self but for god to know us he just needs to know himself because he is the makom he is the venue of everything of existence and Maimonides actually writes this. David, this may sound familiar from a couple of weeks ago from the, the Rambam study, because he mentions this towards the beginning. Take a look on page 623. Um, the second bold paragraph, it's the middle of the page. You see it? For as Rambam writes, God is simultaneously the power to know the knower and the known. And through knowing himself, so to speak, he knows all creations. Not by knowing something outside of him. This is a quote from Rambam, from Maimonides, as in the case with human knowledge, right? For us to know someone else, we have to stop thinking about ourselves and think about someone else. We have to go outside of ourselves. Because all... Uh, um, not the case with God. He just needs to know himself to know others because all existence is derived from his true existence through this concept. Now, though this concept defies coherent mortal comprehension, etc. Right? And the reason why it defies mortal comprehension, in other words, the, re the reason why we don't see this world as a just a facet and expression of God's thoughts is because of tzimtzum. And this thinking, this template that we've just, uh, this model of, or this way of conceiving God is going to set us up to be able to, with a very meaningful meditation to be inspired to fall in love with God, which we're going to talk about in, in next week's chapter. But for now, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Wait, was, was that the... That's, that's your that's where I'm Okay. That's it. <laughs>